Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session with TBA rabbinic intern Ben Siegel. So we're towards the end of the Exodus story, and there's a transition that happens in this parsha uh, within Paro, Paro and God's relationship transitions at this point. And Maya talked about it a little bit this morning at the Bat Mitzvah, actually. So I feel like um, I couldn't see everyone there. So hopefully this will be a little bit new. But um, <laughs> uh, nonetheless, um, I want to dive into the one of the first, if not the first verse of the Parsha, which talks about that transition in um, Paro and God's relationship. So... Um, for the sake of those on Zoom, I'll go ahead and read the text. Um, then God said to Moses, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his courtiers, in order that I may display these, my signs among them. So this is just as background. This is a transition up until this point. Every time we hear about Pharaoh's heart being hardened, it uses, first of all, it uses a different verb. Here we have chichbadadi, and there it uses um, from the shorish chazak, like to strengthen, kind of. Um, so there's a different, there's a slightly different transition that's going on here, but it's also a different person doing it. Up until this point, it's Pharaoh hardening Pharaoh's own heart, and here God is stepping in and actually hardening Pharaoh's heart. Um, so what what does that mean to you though what does it mean to have a hardened heart yeah great so michael's saying that um there's two two different parts to what he had said first part is this idea that um the verb here is hikbadidi and um it comes from the shorsh of kaved like heaviness and so there's a real heavy there's a heaviness going on in the heart of Pharaoh. And there's a question, he had related it to protest movements and how at a certain point in any protest movement, there's a question of whether or not the leader, if I'm understanding correctly, whether or not the leader has the strength to continue the protest movement forward through the difficulties that will inevitably be faced. And I had a different take. Um, this came from, this I got from Joseph Tolution, and I, I thought he had a point. A lot of us who um, listen to the news and we we like being informed, we know there's no shortage of heartache in this world. There's a lot of tragedy that goes on all the time, all the time, stuff that we can't even phantom. And as he said, just to keep your sanity, at what point do you have to like almost blank some of it out just to keep your sanity. You take everything to heart. I, I don't know how you can survive if you take everything to heart because there's just so much tragedy in this world. You know, people are cruel to one another. There's just, it's overwhelming at times. So what, what does that do to you emotionally when you just have to blank some of it out just to keep your sanity? So if I understand correctly, what you're saying is that Pharaoh is trying to, knows the tragedy that's going on, but just 
pushes it aside and in doing so fails to have any sort of human connection to what's going on such that it can continue onward. Does that sound right? Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm, I'm troubled by your initial premise because it was my understanding, I, I've got two problems, but the, the, one is with the, the, my understanding was that about the hardening of the heart that it was the first five plagues that Pharaoh hardened his own, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, that was he was going to be doing, he was in the habit as, as, as Maya Rothblum said, said right. today, and it was only in the second five that it was God hardening, that God actually goes and hardens the heart. But, uh, so I don't know if this is necessarily the turning point, or maybe with the word kabe, it isn't bod of chazak, that it makes that change, and that would make it, that would, that would be clear that the, the hardening of the heart is even more intense. But what particularly troubles me is that it's even before we get to this point, we get in, in, um, in, in 421, it talks about God hardening the heart. And in, seven, in Exodus 7.3, it talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. So it's like it was already preordained that it was going to be done from the get-go. And it's, and it's troubled me to say, how can it be that we could have, anyone could have had free will if God is already saying not once but twice before you know, he even goes to ask what's going on that I'm going to harden his heart and you're going to have to, uh, and, that, and that's what's going to take place. Fair, fair enough. So I should say the transition here is both with the verb and also with the fact that you no longer see Pharaoh involved in the process at all. It's now all God. Ah. Wait, wait a second. Uh, his heart was hardened. Well, maybe not. No, actually, I think I'm saying contradicts what I was thinking. But, uh, but you know, he, he, he decided to... Uh, to uh, follow them after he let them go, right? So yeah. it, it, the heart softened for a little bit and then got hard again. But, you know, I, as someone who does protests for a living, uh, it's very easy to um, go too far and, and quickly you're in an entrenched battle. But uh, in this case, I actually like the old explanation before rabbis felt guilty about God, might, people might perceive God as being bad. Um, God, this is all God. This is not Moses. I mean, God's doing the plagues. God's doing the liberation. That's probably why the people didn't weren't liberated enough to go into the promised land because they didn't do anything. Um, that's my explanation of that. But the but the issue really is is he he was trying to show um, the world that this guy is going to get it because of what he did. You know, so I don't I don't mind the uh, original uh, theory that he hardened his heart. And so what? You so, know, he had yeah. plenty of chance to allow him to go beforehand. That's great. Hold that thought. You're gonna, we're going to find that in the commentaries. Um, I'm going to skip the second question I have on the page just for time. And I want to go into Ibn Ezra's commentary. Um, so Ibn Ezra says, go in unto Pharaoh, um, Boel Perot. Go, um, go to him this time and do not be astonished that he has hardened his heart until now. For I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. God mentioned the heart of his servants, which was the second question we didn't talk about, because their hearts would mellow with the coming of the plague of the locusts. So what is Ibn Ezra saying about God's involvement here? Why is God getting involved in this case? Is he saying specifically why, or what, what can you read into it? Well, it's upping the ante. It's upping the ante? It's upping the ante. 
Pharaoh has the support of his people, then he can hang tough. Now he has to hang tough if in this next play, if the people of get rid of this problem, get rid of them, then it's an, e it's an, easier, uh, it's an easier stretch. But once his people are no longer with him, then he has to take more of the burden on himself. Great. So we have here some sort of proto, it's not really democracy, but certainly it's a lot easier to lead when your people are on your side. So Pharaoh is by no means elected into this position, but having the people say, we also are okay with the enslavement of the Israelites makes it a lot easier to go ahead and do that. And so that that could be one of the reasons for they have, there, there's up till now they're saying we want our slaves more than we'll put we'll put up with this with these problems because we want our slaves right with locusts they then began to say maybe yeah. it's not maybe it's not worth it great so the locusts are a turning point with the Egyptian people up until now the Egyptian people are on Pharaoh's side and say the source of having the slaves is worth having them. And at that point, they realize that it's no longer worth it, but we're still going to see Pharaoh continue on anyways against the will of his people. And that could create more internal conflict that then makes it potentially easier to eventually free them, even if Pharaoh is still in an entrenched position. Great. Other thoughts? If not, we can go on to Ramban. Um, so Ramban says, uh, and the internal said unto Moses, go in unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants. That's the pasuk that um, he's commenting on. The Holy One, blessed be he, informed to Moses that it is he who has hardened the hearts, their hearts in spite of their fear of him during the hail and their confession of sin. And he explained to him, the reason I hardened their hearts is that I might set in their midst these signs that I wish to do among them so that the Egyptians will know my power, but not in order that I can punish them more on account of the hardening of, the, of this hardening of the heart. And also that you and all Israel should recount during the coming generations the power of my deeds, and you shall know that I am the eternal, and whatsoever I please I do in heaven and earth. So a different rationale, I would say, Anyone want to paraphrase in their own words what Ramban is saying? It's, but I couldn't afford it. And the other farmer said to him, well, I only had to use it once. So this is the a freedom story for generations. And, you know, it set the tone that, you know, if you're enslaved, you need to call out to God to free. So I think it, God had a good reason to harden the heart. So it's, so you're saying Ramban's saying it's to make an example. Ramban is my guy. Great. Ramban is your guy. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it, it's the examining that God is all-powerful. He's done all these other deeds. He can do more. The Egyptians are going to know that this is uh, the uh, all-powerful God, and other nations will hear about this and know that this is the uh, all-powerful God who has been doing these things. Great. So if I'm, I'm sensing a little bit of a difference there, that it's not just to make a sign, but also so that everyone knows that there's only one God. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah, which is... It is, it is, I think it's directed not only for B'nai Israel, but 
also, but in, in the future, it's going to come into play, you know, when they're going to say, when Moses, when God wants to destroy everyone and they doesn't know, what are you going to, you're worried about the other nations of the world are going to see you brought them out of Egypt only to destroy them? What kind of God are you type thing? So I think it's a precursor of not just for the, I think here directly, yes, it is a power to show the Israelites what's going on, but I think it's also going to be an issue for showing the power to the other nations of the world as well. Great. So now I've, I've got a follow-up question. Does this seem like a believable justification, and does it seem like a fair justification? So it's believable because we still recite it today. Thirty-two hundred, thirty-three hundred years after the Exodus, and this is still the story the Jewish people are telling. Yeah. So the story. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you need. Maybe it'll change tomorrow, but that's fairly convincing evidence. You know, that that reminds me of the rationalization of. I think it was uh, uh, the guy who wrote Kuzani. Uh, you know, 600,000 people can't be wrong. There must have been a revelation at Sinai. <laughs> and Dennis Prager says the best correlation between numbers and truth. <laughs> you know, when, when he got a phone call from somebody that, that said all these millions of Catholics can't be all wrong, he said, there's no connection between <laughs> numbers and truth. So, <laughs> But so on the believable front, I'm hearing a, a lean towards a yes in the sense that it's still a story that we tell today. So we wouldn't be telling this story generation after generation as a people if we didn't believe it. But I want to circle back to that fair part. Does it seem fair that God's going to intervene here and say, I'm just going to show off my power? workers are looking to see who has the power. Usually the employer has most of it, but when the workers want to show power and can do it, that's when we win. Great. So, so that's a justification of saying it's fair. It's saying in this moment, you could look at it and say it's not fair, but because it sets a precedent that this sort of behavior isn't okay, and it tells everyone that the Israelites are going to interact with going forward what to expect if they don't listen to the will of God, then it is fair because it's trying to set up some sort of um, fair consequence system, in which case God is going to intervene if there's no fairness between the Israelites and those they're interacting with. It took a while, but yeah. So... So in other words, so just to, yeah, so just to paraphrase what was said here off mic, um, there's a sense that there needs to be, a, the only way Pharaoh is going to yield power and actually let the people go is if there's overwhelming force that forces him to do it. Clearly, he's not doing it of his own free will. We've had plenty of opportunities for that. And so when we look at 
at this text, this understanding of what's going on, there needs to be an overwhelming um, force on God's behalf, including this potential hardening of the heart, however we want to translate it, so that then, first of all, it pulls the people away and says, wait a minute, you, you've gone too far. But then it also makes the, um, the forces that are going up against each other so much more distinct. It shows what is on the line on both ends, and it pushes. It can also potentially be what pushes the Israelites to say, okay, now we're just going to go for it, um, because they've got to at least be willing to move their feet to get out of Egypt too. Um, and, there was a, and there was a comparison to modern situations as well um, with what's going on in Ukraine and in Russia. Great. So this is, this is what the Jewish, what the Israelites needed to hear as well in order to be willing to take the journey, the, they don't know, 40-year journey ahead of them, but certainly to go through the desert and experience what's not going to be easy for them given the fact that up until now they've had everything given to them in terms of food and whatnot. And we're going to hear that refrain over and over again as they're going through um, through um, the desert, that we had it so great back in Egypt, why did we leave? Well, there was a point, and this is one of those potential turning points that we can look to where they realize, actually, we didn't have it so great. There's something better out there that we want to go for. Um, I want to move on. So I want to move on. We're going to, I think I'm still going to skip to the last text. Um, so we're going to move to the text Mot Rabbah, um, one of the Midrashim, and there's a completely different understanding in Shemot Rabbah of what's going on here. So Varacher, um, another explanation. Um, this is after the, mission, or the Midrash has already explored one understanding of this. For I have hardened his heart, Rabbi Yochanan said, does this not provide heretics with an opportunity to open their mouth to say that he had no means of repenting, as it says, for I have hardened his heart. Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish said to him, let the mouths of the heretics be stopped up. Rather, if it concerns the scorners, um, he's quoting Mishle here, he scorns them. When the Holy One, blessed be he, uh, warns a man once, twice, thrice, that he does and he doesn't repent, God will close his heart against repentance, so he should not exact vengeance from him for his sins. So too with the wicked Pharaoh, since Hashem sent five times to him and he took no notice, God then said, you have stiffened your neck and hardened your heart, well, I will add impurity to your impurity. Hence, for I have hardened his heart. What does I have hardened his heart imply? That God made his heart like a liver. Um, this is going to uh, the Shorish Hichbadidi, um, Kaved, which also can mean liver, um, into which I, even if boiled a second time, no juice enters. So also was the heart of Pharaoh made like a liver, and he did not receive the word of, words of God. Hence, for I have hardened his heart. So what is the Midrash trying to say here, and in particular, what um, read, uh, Rish Lakish, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish is saying here? Hard, but that 
the, the general understanding, the general understanding of hardening is that of stubbornness or that of being kind of beaten over the head so many times that you're just going to stand, you're going to stand your ground no matter what, because you, similar to what Maya said earlier today, like it's, it's now just habitual for Pharaoh in this case to, to hear something and then to be kind of, um, I don't know, bowled over by it, right? Like to, to not, to not allow it to, to permeate into him, into his soul and into heart, into his heart. And so the, the way in which we're, we're hearing of this Midrash is a, a way for us to understand what it actually means for something to be kaved, or in this case for, for his heart to be kaved. It, it did in a sense, I think the, the, um, colloquial definition of harden is kind of what ends up happening to his heart, but that's because of it being beaten up so many times such that then he, he becomes stubborn in a modern sense of nothing was going to change his mind. And so it's that hardening. I mean, that's, that's the example that they're using here with the liver because they're, they're, combining it with the way in which a liver is talked about when, when we talk about a liver in terms of kashrut. Um, but the, but the way in which we're, you, you just, there's nothing else to possibly get out of it. And so you think of it as hard because when you think of the opposite of hard, you think of something that's soft that you can get something out of, or in the case of a heart that would be able to be permeated and give out emotion. Great. So, what are, it's beautiful, um, and Maya kind of talked to this already today, but what is, what is this saying to us in the modern day? Because I think this text really, there's something to the fact that we've, this has been our story for 3,300 years, give or take. Wait, before Michael says anything. <laughs> um, the, I, the, it's so interesting. I, I read it so differently. Um, I actually read it like completely the opposite, which doesn't mean can, that, that can I'm... Can you paraphrase just for those on Zoom what was said before you then oh, read oh, it oh. a different way? Um, yes, except or, for he quoted something, so I'm not going to yeah, yeah. paraphrase or, the quote. Why don't you let him read it? Okay. Do you want to... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. This, way, this is what is said in the... Uh, Eitzchayim. Yeah, we were talking about verse 421 in Exodus. The first time I think that this appears about hardening of the heart. Hardening of the heart thus expresses a state of arrogant moral de degeneracy, unresponsive to reason and incapable of compassion. Pharaoh's personal guilt is beyond question. Pharaoh's character is now his destiny. Deprived of any chance of relenting, he is irresistibly drawn to a doom of his own making. Note that repentance is not even considered a possibility here. It is a religious notion that evidently developed after the time of the Exodus story. And now, I, yeah, Rabbi Schatz. I, I was just going to say that I... The thing that I disagree with is that I think what it, to answer your question of what does it say to us, I actually think that what this says to us is that we had something to do with the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, that it wasn't all his fault. Um, and I'm not trying to say that he was a good guy by any stretch of the imagination and we did something to make him a bad guy. But I do think that 
for us in modern day and to all the examples that Michael's been giving us, there are outside influences, whether that's a person or a political system or a government or whatever it is, there's always outside influence to how we approach a situation. And I think also with Pharaoh, and potentially this is why it shifts from hardening his own heart to having his heart need to be hardened, that there was there was a time at which Pharaoh was in charge, let's say, of his own emotions, capable of figuring out for himself what he thought and how he was going to act. And then there was a specific moment where that shifted and God stepped in, the people became stronger, however we want to read the story. And so I think for us, when we read this story and we think about what we can take away from in today's day, I think we have to imagine that even if we don't think we have influence, even if we don't think we are somehow impacting what's going on, we are. Even if it's in the smallest ways, that there those those drips into a you know into a bucket become a very full bucket at some point. So we are influencing that which is happening, and and so too with with Pharaoh's heart. I think. Great. So. We have the ability to influence, and we also have the ability to influence ourselves in the habits that we're forming, which was what Maya was talking about. Um, I think it's also important just to frame all this conversation that in the rabbinic mindset, the heart isn't just the seat of emotion, it's also the seat of knowledge. And so there's something going on with how we, how the rabbis are understanding Pharaoh's thought process as well, not just Pharaoh's emotions. Um, and I was going to just end it here, but as we were going through Mincha, there's a really beautiful commentary in the Lev Shalem Sidor on page 217 about Uvala which talks about the heart as well. So I'll just read it. Um, the last five lines of Uvala contain an acrostic, Levavo Adonai, the heart of God. This allusion to God's heart parallels our prayers regarding our own hearts just a few lines earlier. May God open our hearts to the Torah, inspiring us to love, revere, and wholeheartedly serve God. Thus, as we enter this final service of Shabbat for Shabbat Mincha, or the festival day, uh, we are reminded that the ultimate goal of all our study and prayer is to attune our hearts to the, to the divine heart, hidden within the structure of all things, beating unceasingly. I'm just going to let that speak yeah, for itself yeah. at this point. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.